turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians. Book of Ephesians, when you read through it, and Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, it's a good book for the church. And uh, chapters 1 through 3, you have the unity of believers. And then 4 through 6, you have the unity of the church. That's just a, that's one way to divide it up. But uh, in the first two chapters, Paul's presenting something that we take for granted today. We're going to be in chapter number three. Let's go ahead and pray before I forget, before I get to talking. Amen. So the, in chapters one and two, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and like I said, he's telling them about something. He's explaining something to them that we take for granted. And that is he's showing the unity of the believers in Christ, but he's also showing the unity of the Jew and the Gentile in Christ. Uh, This is just by way of giving some context to where we are. And uh, over in chapter number two, he he talks about... uh, and came and preached peace, verse number 17, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. He talks about the Jew and he talks about the Gentile. And the thing that he talks about is the way that we got in and that the way there's neither a Jew nor a Gentile. We're all one in Christ. You kind of follow that? So then Paul gets that explained that we're all one in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. And he... Uh, in chapter number three, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. And he begins talking about the mystery. Verse number five, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Again, this is context. Don't get to going too far with this with your mind. I'm just kind of catching us up here a little bit. He said, and he talks about this mystery which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Something changed when Jesus Christ came. Before they were following the law and faith, and then when Jesus Christ came, it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Jews had to have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. Um, Verse number six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. It's through the gospel that we're saved. When, when, I, when I read through this and I, and I try to look to explain it, it's like when you read through it, it's so rich. And it just speaks to your heart. And then when I start to think about explaining that, it's like, well, we understand that, right? We're saved through Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. When you're reading and you're, and, you're, and you're in the context and you're hearing it from Paul, it's so much more than just words. You know, it's, it's just so much, it, it becomes this incomprehensible thing that God, that Jesus Christ would come down and die on the cross for us. And that these 2,000 years, we've had access, we have access to God through Jesus Christ. It just, you say the words, and uh, I'm still not to the sermon yet, you understand. But you say the words, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But when you begin reading, and you start going back and forth and back and forth, and you see Paul's mind as he's explaining this to one church after the other, this life that we have in Jesus Christ, and uh, it just it just lights up. But he says uh, um, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So all of that's just by way of just kind of giving a context here, chapter one and two. And we get to the part and the part that I want to get to is where Paul talks about praying. Uh, Let's see, to the intent now. 
look at uh, verse number 13, and we're getting up to verse, look at verse number 12, and we're going to read these two verses, and our passage is going to start at verse number 14 and go to 21. So he says, in whom we have boldness. Let's see, well, verse number 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, in whom we have boldness, that's through Jesus Christ, and access with confidence by the faith of him. All right, in chapter number 3, verse number 12, he said, and he's talking about Jesus Christ. You see that in verse number 11. He says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Our faith in Jesus Christ gives us boldness and access to God. You know, when I, when I thought about that, and it's like before you know God, he's, he's fearful. He's a dark character. He's, you're facing eternal judgment from a holy God. You're standing there like a worm, and, and you, your only hope is, man, I hope I have eternal life. I, I hope I can make it. I hope my good works outweigh my bad. But when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's... God's no longer this fearful judgment. God is the one you're looking forward to seeing. Jesus Christ is the one that you're looking forward to seeing. We have access to his throne through prayer. We can access that with boldness. Not the kind of boldness where you get up and say, I demand a Cadillac. No, it's the boldness to be able to hold your head up and say, Lord, I need your help. And in Paul... With that attitude, he says, verse number 13, he said, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations, for which is your glory. Now, Paul, I believe, is in prison at this time. And he's telling them, don't worry about me. We've got access to God through boldness. We can pray through Jesus Christ. God's going to take care of me. I don't want you to get worried about my tribulations and where I'm at. And then he says, verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because we have access, and because there is unity in Christ, and because he's the preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. You follow me on that? Well, it's the context of 1 and 2 that you bring into play here. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth his name. Now, see, you can say the words, but when you start to think about India, when you start to think about China, when you start to think about someone in prison, when you start to think about someone over in another country that you've never met, all of these people are part of the family of God. All are part of the church of Jesus Christ because they've accepted Christ as their faith, as their Savior. You can say the words, but when you try to understand how God is in every place and God is helping everyone, God is there throughout the world. It just starts to <coughs> blow up on you. Am I, am I just kind of blowing some light out to you? I, I'm, you're trying to follow me, but the part that I'm getting to, and it's very simple. Let me knock it down to simple. Because of all of this, Paul says, I bow my knee to God. And he's going to pray for the people. He's going to pray for them. And that's what I want to look at today. You know, we know to pray for each other, right? And there's, there's things that we ought to be praying for. We pray, we pray that Miss Relina's brother, they have a quick recovery. We pray for Miss Maxine that she'll have a quick recovery, right? There's other people that aren't here that we worry about. You know, they, they, I, I've met a lot of people in my lifetime, and they're still a part of a church years later. They just hadn't been. It's in their heart. You know, we've had some that have left here that have moved halfway across the state, and their heart is still here in a certain place within their heart. So how do we pray for them? How do we pray for those that are out of church? Do we pray, Lord, knock them in the head and bring them back in? They're fellow believers, right? They go through the same struggle that we do. They go through the same struggle with sin. They're still confronted with the same struggle with sin. So you're going to pray that God just beats them up and brings them back? But Paul here in this prayer, he makes some specific requests in his prayer, and I think they could be applied to us. I think that we can apply them to ourselves for mature Christian life, and these are simple, easy things. And But... I think there are things that we ought to pray for in those that aren't here and those that are part of the church, those that, aren't, that are saved, that are out of church. 
I think that these are things that we should pray for. So Paul says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14. And then look at verse 16. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, I want you to look at that one part. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, that's just a statement. You can glaze right over that, right? You know, to catch that, I had to read it in a different Bible. Sometimes just reading it in a different paragraph, in, you know, in a different Bible, is you're, you're used to seeing it in one spot. You've highlighted before and you've done all that, but you read it in a different Bible and things just start to kind of click a little differently. And you go back to your Bible and it's like, well, I highlighted all this. But then, it's, no, it's just clicking. According to the riches of his grace, you know what kind of vault full of riches Jesus Christ has? God owns the cattle on a thousand hill, on a thousand hills. We're, we're, not, we're not praying about man's ability, but we're praying that God provide according to his ability. He says that Christ, and he says to be strengthened, number one. Let me tell you the things that he's, he's going to pray for. Number one, he's going to pray that you're strengthened, okay? And number two, he's going to pray that Christ is in your hearts. And these are simplified. We're going to look at them a little closer. And number three, he's going to pray for the knowledge of God, that you have the knowledge of God and then to have all the fullness of God. Did you get all that? We'll be going through it step by step. So look at verse number 16. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit. And do you see where? In the inner man. You know, there's an external strength. You can see someone standing in the storm and they're out there and they're just taking the wind and the waves. You know, when I was in the Navy, they told me a story about a chief that was out there with his coffee and the bosun mates were out there. It was a bosun chief. And he's standing out there, and he said, man, it was storming, and the waves were coming up over the side. He said, and that chief's standing out there, and we're trying to handle the lines and everything, and the waves would come over, and they'd miss him. And he's standing out there drinking his coffee. Now, that's the boasting legends we know, right? Just as an aside, I remember when one boatswain mate came on, he was so excited to be back on board a ship, he was just shaking with his papers, and you could see them anchors tattooed in his hand. Most of mate likes his job, you know. Not all of them, but the ones that do, you got a lot of respect for. And he brought back knots and everything. But he said, yeah, those waves would come over and splash, and he was out there drinking his coffee in an open cup, and the waves never hit him. He said, Chief, how do you stand there and not get wet? And he said, Neptune knows I don't like salt in my coffee. I think I just wanted to tell the story till bad, but there's an external strength that people have. Amen. But when Paul prays for the believers, he's praying for an inner strength. You know, there's a difference between the outer strength and the inner strength. You can show, you can stand up here talking in front of people and you can show an outer strength. But inside you might be a crumbling bowl of jelly. Y'all may never know. You can go through the storm and you can have an outer strength and stand there and not get salt in your coffee. But then there's that inner strength that gives you that inner peace. So Paul says he's praying, number one, he's praying that they'll be strengthened within, not just on the outside. He says to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. He's talking to believers. We have God's spirit within us. When we pray, when we, it's the spirit that makes intercession for us. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord and Zerubbabel, saying, Not by my, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's an interesting thing when we do things. We can do them with the external. We can do it, but... It's when you do it with the internal. It's when God is guiding when we do things. So by God's might and God's spirit. So why the inner man? Why do we need strength on the inner man? 
Why should we pray for those that are outside the church that hadn't been to church in a while? Why should this be part of our prayer for the inner man? It's in the inner man where the battle takes place. It's in the inner man where someone out there is fighting the battle with the temptation to sin. Somebody that's had a life, and you, you, you get into habits and you, you form habits, you form, uh, well, that's just the only word I can come up with, but you've, you've been in a lifestyle, it'll pull you back, it'll tempt you. It's so easy. You're praying for strength for the inner person so that they can fight against the temptation to sin. There's other things that we go to. There's troubles and there's trials that people go through. It's no secret that uh, our family's kind of gone through some things. But there's strength on the inside. There's knowing that God's in control no matter what the storm's doing on the outside. It's kind of like that old lighthouse that sits out in the harbor. And all the waves beat against it and it's standing on the rock. And and that lighthouse just stays there just putting out the light the whole time. It's just knowing with everything that's going on that God's in control. Things are in his hands. It's strength in the inner man and strengthened by the spirit of God, not by ourselves. So there's disease and suffering that people go through. There's also grief and there's death that people go through. And then there's selfishness and worldliness, whether it's somebody else's or you're fighting against yourself. People that get into the world, it's hard to get the world out of them. Um, And then there's problems and circumstances that people deal with. You know, I told you this morning at Sunday school, with all of this going on, then we had the audit at work, you know, and I wasn't too sure how we were going to make it through that. You know, but it's like with all of this going on, then we got this audit to deal with at the end of it, you know. It's like, Lord, I don't know when this ends, but I know you got it. <laughs> you know, I'm, what was it David said? I'd rather fall at the hand of my Lord than fall at the hand of man. After he had numbered Israel and God gave him a choice, and he said, I would rather, I'd rather fall at the hand of the Lord. I, it's not a direct quote, but that's essentially what he was saying. That I would rather be in God's hands than suffer at man's hands. So then he says um, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And then he says in verse 17 that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. And then there's a semicolon there, although there's a tendency to want to read on. But that semicolon is a stop for the thought. I had to go over this a few times, you know, because I'm like there's some that say, well, you know, this is all about love and everything. But when you stop at a semicolon, don't get mad at me. But he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, I said Christ in your hearts, but not only do we, should we pray for strength for those that are out, but I say we should pray for faith. It's the faith in Christ. It's the trust in Christ. The second request is for Christ, Christ to dwell and that is to rule and reign in our hearts by faith. And that word dwell, it means a permanent, not a temporary dwelling. It's like you're making room for Jesus to move in. You know, he's not just a part of your life. He's not just down the road, but he's living within you. You know, that's a familiarity that takes place. You can have a neighbor down the road that you see and wave to. Amen. And this is just putting it in practical terms. But when Christ dwells in your hearts... By faith, when you, you, you've turned yourself over to Christ, to live in a home, to enter, settle down, and be at home. When a person believes in Jesus Christ for the first time, Christ enters his life. And therefore, the, the believer is not praying for Christ to enter the hearts and lives of believers. Christ's already in their heart and life. They're out of church. They're, they're away from God. They're away from the church. Pray for them for strength and pray for them for Christ dwelling within. Christ is already in their hearts and lives. So what does it mean? Well, number one, it means that Christ would be at home and live in a permanent sense within the believer. Because you can be saved and you can go on about your week and not have any conversation with Jesus Christ. You know, one of the key things that have in the peace that passes all understanding is abiding in Christ. That's a constant relationship that takes place. It's not just a 
Sunday morning only. You know, in, in my lack of tactfulness in days before, Miss Gay's laughing because she thinks I'm still untactful. <laughs> no, Miss Gay, what's left is just idiot. <laughs> when some things come out, I, I used to call them smoes, you know, because we'd have church Sunday morning, we'd have church Sunday evening, we'd have church on Wednesday, but the smoes were the Sunday morning only. I don't hear any laughing. But uh, I said it was when I was less tactful. Now I'm just an idiot. But uh, I was before, too. It's just uncovered. So that Christ would be at home and live in a permanent sense within the believer. So that you're not just a smoke. But when you go home, you're still walking with Christ. You're not going out to the bar on Saturday night and then showing up at church. You're not. Just pick whatever instance you want. It's like, okay. As a preacher, I'm not one of those good ones to sit there and nail everybody's sin because I think you ought to shoot with a shotgun in a sense and let God hit home. Because if I start naming stuff and say, well, that's not it. But the Holy Spirit speaks to you. So you you got all of this going on, and then you come to church, and then you switch back, and you got this going on. You're not letting Christ dwell within. You're not having coffee with him in the morning. Amen? We're just putting it down into practical terms. That the believer would be aware and conscious of Christ within his heart. Always aware and conscious that Christ has taken up residence within him. You know, one of, the, one of, the, one of my friends, and it's been great to know, is that every morning she's reading the word. It may just be a devotional, but every morning she's reading and aware of what God's doing. Miss Gay, I believe you had that book. What is it? Uh, I can't remember the name of it. But there, there's different devotionals out there. My favorite one is Oswald Chambers. But there's just reading God's word. It's like I said, you can know about salvation. You can know about this. But as you begin to read God's word in context, it's like everything explodes in high-definition color. You know, just the whole idea of God's grace and what Jesus Christ did for us and the life that Jesus wants us to have. You know, it's not... A life of happiness all the time. I mean, Jesus told his most faith, one of his most faithful followers, Paul, he said, he must suffer many things for me, for my sake. That may be, but Paul had an inner strength, and he had Christ dwelling within him. And that the believer would let Christ control and guide his life permanently and constantly, because Christ is at home in his heart. Uh-oh. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, Christ live within me. It's, it's crucifying yourself. Paul said, I die daily. You know, the self says, I want to do this. The Bible says, do this. Or the Holy Spirit says, do this. You got to put yourself to death in order to follow Christ. Your own desires, your own. And it's a hard thing to say. It takes some discipline. It takes a decision on your part. Now, here's the thing about that decision. You see if you can follow me on this thought. When you make that decision, you can't do it on your own, no matter how hard you try. You follow me on that? There is a reckoning. There is a, there is a decision moment, but the power comes through God's spirit to overcome you made the decision not to quench the spirit but it's only through God's power that you overcome that if you say I'm going to do right I'm going to do this I'm going to follow what God says and I'm going to make it happen if you're doing that alone without the power of God and you're, not, you're, you're just saying Lord I'll, I'll be right back with you as soon as we got this taken care of just hold on, Lord, I'm going to get this straightened out. That's not going to happen. Well, you say, Lord, I need your help. And you recognize and you acknowledge where you fall short. And you confess your sin. You confess whatever it is. You're honest with God. You have an honest and open relationship. Let me tell you something. A relationship doesn't last that isn't honest. They always talk about lines of communication and things like that. But... When you're honest with God, 
and you have that desire to follow him, it's the spirit of God. It's the power of God that helps you to overcome things. So that the believer would let Christ control and guide his life permanently and constantly. Is the presence of Christ within that motivates a believer to follow Christ? And the more the believer is aware and conscious of Christ within him, the more he will walk and live in Christ. That's kind of like the following the law versus, versus walking with God voluntarily. Do you get me on that? Following that set of rules. Y'all heard me preach on it. You check the box, check the box, check the box. You're only going to get this far. But when you're following Christ because you love him, there's no limit to where you go as far as drawing near to Christ. All right, so the reason the semicolon was important that I talked about, we've got praying for strength, praying for the indwelling of Christ in your hearts, amen? And he gives you that inner strength also. But then that semicolon comes in. He says that ye being rooted and grounded in love, and my King James, there's a comma, verse number 18. So it's a qualification that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And there's another semicolon. So that one thoughts together. So pray not only that they strengthen in their inner man, and pray not only that Christ dwells within them, that they have a close and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, but you also want to pray that they gain a knowledge of God. But there's something important about that. And Peter talks about it over in uh, 2 Peter. It, turn with me, if you will, if, if you got time. Turn with me to 2 Peter. You got to go through... Hebrews to get to James' house and then just go a little further toward Peter. Now, this is an area I preached on for a while because over in 2 Peter, Peter talks about seven things to add to your faith. Okay? And he says, uh, he tells them, Great, I'm just going to catch us up. Verse number two, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby, unto us, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. We're almost there. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All right, so there's seven things that he lists from verse number five on. He said, and beside this, beside your faith, besides knowing Christ, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. So in our Christian walk, we want to gain more knowledge of God. You know, they, they say about a man, uh, a man had worked for a company for 10 years, came time for a promotion. There was another guy that had been working there for three years and he got passed over. And he went to the boss and he, he just had thought. He's like, well, why is this? I, this man comes in and he's been working here three years. I've been working here for 10 years. I got 10 years experience. His boss said, no, you don't have 10 years experience. He said, you got one year experience 10, years, 10 times over. Y'all follow me on that? The, the fella knew the basics, and he did them faithfully for those 10 years. But he didn't move any further. A lot of Christians are like that, amen? You get saved, know the basics. We understand salvation by grace through faith, and, and we, we understand the basics. So, you know, we got basic discipleship over there that uh, I've taught before. I, as I go back and look, this is, this is a parenthesis here. As I go back and look at teaching basic discipleship, it's like I really spent too much time trying to impress them with what I knew than I did helping them, you know, as I move forward. But we want, you want people to gain a knowledge of God because without that knowledge, then you get the statements like, well, I just believe. Why do you just believe? Because you just made it up. 
But when you begin to read God's word, I can't tell you how many times I've said, hey, this would make a good sermon topic. And I start to read, and it's like, yeah, this passage here would apply. And you start reading that passage, and it's like, well, God, that's just not even in the same neighborhood, is it? And God said, nope. Now you ready to preach what I'm going to give you? Because when you open up God's word, you find out what he wants. You're not imposing your mind on God. You're looking at the mind of God. Look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Well, for 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, then we're going to go to chapter number 1. Because that rooted and grounded in love is pretty important when it comes to knowledge. And I, I forgot to take you to it, but right after Peter says, and to virtue, knowledge. And after that, he says, and to knowledge, temperance. Because you can fill your head full of facts about God. You can... Fill your head full of this Bible and just know all kinds of things. Who was Methuselah? How long did he live? You know, where does Moses come in? What is this? What is that? You can read commentaries. You can get all kinds of facts and everything. And you can know something, and I'm going to turn this a little bit because we're praying for fellow Christians, right? We're praying for fellow believers. We're praying for people that are out of church. We're praying for people that are in church. And I'm telling you, this is a prayer you should pray for yourself. Pray that you're strengthened in the inner man. Pray that Christ is dwelling in your hearts. And pray that you get knowledge. And study so that you will get knowledge. But he says, rooted and grounded in love. So this is where I tell you a parable. There was a man that was getting ready for a hurricane. He didn't quite get the windows all the way covered up before the storm came. And after the storm, there's a branch through the window. And he's standing there looking at it and looking at his house and his stereo and his TV are gone because the branch went through the window. The water got in the house. It ruined the floor. It ruined everything. He didn't get everything up on blocks out in the garage. And there was only about three inches of water in the neighborhood. So everything that was in the garage, if he'd have put it up on blocks, it would have made it. You follow me on this? I made this illustration up. Y'all got to follow me. The water was only about three inches and everything would have been saved, but everything got ruined because it was in the water because he didn't get it up off. And his neighbor shows up as he's looking at the damage and his neighbor had everything taken care of and he walks up to him as he's looking and stands behind him. You know, you should have got that plywood up on the other part of that window. That would have kept that branch out. Well, he knows that. And, you know, Dee Dee told me about a, a saying she found. I ain't going to tell you where because I'd be ashamed. It was Facebook. But uh said, don't be a weatherman, but be the one that supplies the umbrella. And when you temper your knowledge of God's word and your knowledge of what God wants for you and wants for others in their lives, you don't go up to them and say, you know, you shouldn't have done that. All this wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have done that. They're standing there looking at it, and they're like, you know, I shouldn't have done that. But you're just being a weatherman. You're just giving them knowledge. But there's, there's coming to somebody and tempering it with love. When you temper something with love, you understand, or you try to understand what they're going through. You kind of give them credit for, you know, they might, they might just know their problem but they might be having trouble overcoming their problem. And I've had to learn, too, in trying to help somebody that you can't just dictate everything for them to do. And it's a hard thing. I, I've gone to help somebody, and I had it all laid out. I had a plan. I was mind mapping. I, I, this is what you got to do. This is what's going to get you back on your feet. This is what's going to get you going and everything. And uh, I realized, you know, there's other things going on that they know more about than I do. And sometimes, Brother Grady, it always comes back to me, Brother Grady. Sometimes you just got to love them. But tempering your knowledge with love. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 with me. I'll give you some Bible on that. Look at verse number 1. And y'all know this. But he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity... 
I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. A lot of your Bibles put the word love in there, right? Amen. Either one works. You know, charity is caring for somebody. Love, he said, verse number one, chapter 13, it's the love passage. Chapter 13, that's right, not 12. Okay, chapter 13, he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You can know all the right answers, and you can know everything that will help somebody out. And if you don't have any love about it when you go and tell them, all you're doing is beating them over the head. I can, I can give an instance, you know, I've thought about before. I've sat under preaching where he preached about, you know, attendance or lack thereof. And I'm sitting out there and I'm saying, I'm here. And you don't always know what somebody went through to get here. You know, I, I've said it before. When you first start going to church, I mean, my goodness, Satan gets around the house. He'll hide the kids' socks. He'll, he'll make them the most unhappiest kids in the world. You know, you've gone through all of that to get to church. And then when they get to, well, it's good of you to show up. It's like, I'm here. So, and that's just... One example, there's any number of examples with God's word because you have a wealth of information here. But to temper that knowledge with love, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So I believe that semicolon's there for a reason. And ye being rooted and grounded in love. And that you may that they that you may know the height, the depth, the width of God. I mean, yeah, we've been going through Revelation, and I don't see anything wrong with the verses that are pointed out, but man, you talk about mind blowing, you know? It just oh, it's like, oh, let me step back a minute. But there's so much more, and that carries us over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Because knowing the height, and the depth, and the width of God, knowing God's word at that point. Look at verse number 9 of chapter number 2. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 9. He says, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And you remember I told you, you know, sitting there reading for context and man, it just explodes. And it's like, that's not even a piece. That's, that's so simple compared to what God has in store. I mean, when you read about the Crystal Sea, when you read about the streets of gold, when you read about the pearly gates and all that, we can put it all in our context and we see the little cartoons and things over the years and St. Peter standing at the gate or whatever. But when you see what God has in store, it's totally beyond comprehensible to our imagination what's, what's in store for us. He says, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Those that are saved, those that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, eternal life. We can say eternal life that will never die, that will never, there will be no more tears in heaven and all of that. But it's just hard to comprehend because we've never seen it, never heard it. We just, it, it's incomprehensible to us. Verse number 10, but, and we get a glimpse, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, if you go back into the book of John, the comforter, he'll show you all things. He'll remind you of things. Just like the disciples saw things happen with Jesus Christ, but they didn't understand what was going on until later when they looked back and said, oh, this is what he was trying to tell us. Verse number 11, for what man knoweth the things of man? For what man knoweth, and that's not a question, the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So we know about the things that relate to us as men. God knows about the things. And the Spirit 
of God knows. He said, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. There's more to it than that, but I don't want to get too far off context. The point is gaining knowledge, praying for someone to have strength and be strengthened in the inner man, praying for someone to have the indwelling of Christ within their hearts and praying that they'll gain knowledge that's tempered with love. Not just as Brother Grady used to call them pointy-headed. He said, some of these doctors, he said, I'm just an orderly. I come up, come up behind them and clean up. Y'all get that. All right, so let's go back to Ephesians. When it comes to the knowledge of God, there's the knowledge that the world has to offer, and then there's the knowledge of God. That's why I'm pointing out about the knowledge of God. The PhDs, the degrees, you know, Paul Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he said, I count all things but loss. That doesn't mean that you go through life ignorant. That doesn't mean that you don't learn things. You should. You should have a good testimony for Christ in your work life and in your regular life. And that means not walking around in ignorance, but it's also tempering and learning about the things of God and not remaining ignorant on those things. So he says, and this is what they call in the commentary 17b, it just means the second half of the verse, okay? Just so you know that, if you're ever reading the commentary and they say, verse 17b, don't look for the B. Just know that they're talking about the second half of the verse or something like that. So he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And there's another semicolon there. Verse number 19. <coughs> and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now here's something to know. To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. The best that I could come up with on this is, is going back to Job which I've used a couple times in recent sermons where Job said I, I knew with the hearing but now I know, essentially with heart, you know, but now I know with, I've seen with my own eyes. And that's knowing God personally. And Jesus Christ, you can know about him. There's a lot of people that know about him. They insult him and whatnot. But it's knowing Christ in your heart. And it's really knowing Christ. Knowing the love of Christ. So the fourth request is a request for understanding, a full understanding of spiritual things. It's crucial that the believer grasp God's eternal plan and glorious salvation in all that has been covered in the chapters before, one through three. You see, I stole that, right, just to kind of keep me on track. But it's knowing what God's done for us. When you read chapters one through three and understanding God's plan of salvation and understanding what God really did for us. Because all through the Old Testament, it was sacrifices and it was blood offerings and there was faith. But when Jesus came, he changed all of that. He, he essentially abolished the handwriting of ordinances which are against us in his body. And then, man, you get going back and forth on that. But it's understanding what God Understanding the love of Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter number five. It's so tempting just to read the whole passage. <clears throat> but we'll skip ahead. Look at verse number five. You can read the rest in your own time. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, knowing what Jesus, knowing the depth of his love. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet pervert, yet peradventure for a good man would some even some would even dare to die. I used to struggle with that statement. I didn't understand. Righteous man, good man. Well, you know, a righteous man is one that walks righteous. He kept the law and the commandments. 
and he walked upright, and he was righteous according to the law. But a good man, you can think of it in terms of someone that's actually there for him, someone that's actually been a help to people. I mean, there's living right, but then there's living for others. You understand? And the good man lives for others, and people would be willing to die for that man in order to help him, in order to take care of him. So he says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So people would dare to die for a good man, but look what Jesus Christ did. Verse number eight, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now imagine that. And, and I know it said over and over, you know, we did nothing. But to just sit on that a minute. And it's like, yeah, I know we did nothing. And then it's like, we weren't able to do anything. We're in sin. There's nothing like you ever been mad at somebody. You ever had somebody hurt you? You ever had somebody kick you? I mean, I'm talking in, in a spiritual sense or in, it just hurt your feelings or, you know, hurt your feelers, whatever. And you don't really want to be around them. You just kind of want to avoid them. And, but that's the way we are to Jesus Christ in that sense. Those Roman soldiers that spit on him, that kicked him, they were still within their sin. And what did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he still died on the cross for them too. For the soldiers that whipped him with the cat of nine tails. For the soldiers that placed that crown of thorns up on his head until it bled. And that's just the quickest picture of what Jesus did for us. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's knowing the fullness of Christ's love. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then it goes on and it's hard to stop. But go back to Ephesians chapter number three. So it's understanding the great blessings of God, understanding the knowledge and the power of God, understanding the mercy and the grace of God. You see that over in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then you go on from there to uh, verse number 10. And it said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But uh, going on, the reconciliation and peace wrought by Christ and the church, who and what it is. <coughs> so in Romans chapter 5, and I'm catching up now. And then filled with all the goodness of God. Look at, uh, we're, we're back in our passage here. So not only praying for inner strength in the inner man, that Christ is indwelling their life, that he's part of their everyday life, and that you gain knowledge, but it's tempered with love. Y'all follow me on that? And we're praying for folks, okay? And he says, and to know the love of Christ. So you're praying for someone to know and understand, you know? Because someone that doesn't understand what Christ did for them and doesn't understand the grace, they have a hope so salvation in a sense. You can be saved and, you know, are you saved? Well, I hope so. But when you understand what God did for you, you know, that grace that God has, then it becomes a no-so. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness, all that God has to offer. Over in Colossians 1.9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So when you're praying for all of these things, ultimately, through knowing the love of Christ, through knowing God's word, through knowing that peace that passes all understanding, through that inner strength, 
through that faith in Jesus Christ, abiding in Christ, all of that gives you a knowledge of the fullness of God. So Paul's prayer and our prayer for others ought to be pointing them to that fullness of God. And when the believers, when the, when the believers in the church, and let's make this clear, you got local church, and then you've got the church of God. Amen. I'm just kind of pointing this out because in a local church, you got sinners and unbelievers, but in the church of Christ and in God's church that Christ bought for with His body then you have all believers in Jesus Christ. You follow me on that? So when, let's read on then as you have that. He says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundant, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, that's according to the riches of his grace. He says, according to the power that worketh in us, that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead over in Romans chapter 8, that's the same power that works within us through the Spirit, that same Spirit. He says, according to the power that worketh in us, and then verse 21, unto him. What happens when God's people, when this prayer is fulfilled in God's people? When you're praying for those that aren't here, when you're praying for those that are here, and when you're praying these things for yourself, who gets the glory? You for doing right? The church for for building people up? Look at verse 21. It says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So there's the fact, God is able to do it. There's the source, God's the power that works in us. And then there's the purpose, the God, that God might be glorified in the church through Jesus Christ. So knowing all of that today, let me ask you something. What are you praying for those that aren't here? And what are you praying for those that are here? And what are you praying for yourself?